brain fog, insomnia, moodiness, weight gain. Maybe you think they're just part of getting older, but Midi Health understands that for women over 40, they can all connect to menopause. It's at the root of dozens of symptoms we experience, not just hot flashes. Midi clinicians are menopause experts offering safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. USCHO.com. This is the USCHO Spotlight, a weekly podcast from U.S. College Hockey Online at USCHO.com, featuring conversations with college hockey coaches and players and journalists who cover the sport. Welcome to USCHO Spotlight for Wednesday, December 15th, 2021. I'm Ed Trefsker alongside Jim Connolly. Our podcast is brought to you by DCU Digital Federal Credit Union. What will DCU mean to you? Membership required. Find out today by visiting dcu.org. Jim, this time of year, the college hockey schedule winds down, but ramping up is the World Juniors. And it certainly is World Junior time here. This year's tournament taking place in Red Deer in Edmonton, Alberta. Kicks off on December 26th. And the United States, the defending gold medalist, and here to talk about the U.S. team is a good friend of ours, good friend of college hockey, uh, Chris Peters. He's the NHL draft and prospects writer for both Daily Faceoff and Hockey Sense. You can read his stuff at hockeysense.substack.com. He's been around this game for a long time, and he has covered the national angle of this, of uh, USA hockey and these tournaments for quite some time as well. So, Chris, welcome back. I mean, we, we were just saying it off the air. We know it's almost Christmas time when we're talking to Chris Peters. <laughs> yeah, how about it? I mean, this is this is this is how I spend my holidays now is is talking about the World Juniors, but that's all right. I mean, maybe not for my wife, but uh, but yeah, but it's it's great to be with you guys, and uh, thanks thanks for having me. It's it's always an exciting time of year for for me, and I know for for a lot of fans that love college and junior hockey. Defending gold medalist for the United States, um, I feel like looking at this team. Obviously players are very different. There's not a lot of carryovers from last year. I think, I think if I'm right five total that carryover from last year's roster. So there's a lot of turnover, but the coaching staff with Nate Lehman at the helm looks similar. Um, does that mean that maybe we can expect a similar type of product on the ice? Well, I, I think stylistically, certainly, um, you know, I think if you're, you know, with Nate Lehman and really the entire coaching staff is back because, you know, you've got, all the assistants and everybody. So that's, and that was really, I think, uh, important for USA hockey to get that. Those people say, Hey, you want to do this again? Do you want to do it when it's more, you know, last year was in a bubble where there were no fans and this, this time around it'll be you know, fans and, and it's in the same place, but it's completely different. And, um, you know, so there's a lot, a lot on the line there, but, um, you know, the thing that I think people will notice is, you know, the, the 2001 birth year, was probably the best class of Americans. Like the, the, a lot of people talk about the 97 birth year with like Hannafin and Wierenski and um, Matthews and all those guys. Uh, but 2001 was, you know, Cole Caulfield and Trevor Zegris and all these other players that, that had such a huge impact. So you're losing those guys. So you don't really have the, um, the scoring ability. You don't have Spencer Knight. You don't have uh, Dylan Wolf, who was on, or just Dustin Wolf, who was on the team last year. You know, two goalies that could have started every game if they wanted. Um, so it's it's different in that regard. Whereas I think you know they're going to be looking for 
guys that can step up and score for them in a way that they didn't have to worry about that last year. They knew they could throw Cole Caulfield over the boards. They knew it could be uh, Trevor Zegers and, and Zegers had a record setting tournament or, or Matt Boldy, who was so, so important. Um, so, you know, I think that that's, that's going to be the difference, but you know, you're going to see a lot of the hallmarks of a Nate Lehman team. It's going to be fast. It's going to be physical. There's going to be, um, a, you know, a very solid emphasis on defense and, and, and defending the four check is a, is a key area of the game. Um, you know, so all of these things that you see from, you know, when, whenever you watch Providence college and when you watch last year's team personnel is different, but stylistically that you're going to see a lot of similarities. You mentioned goaltending, obviously Spencer Knight carried the water for the United States last year. It was fantastic, particularly in the gold medal game. Um, all new faces in there this year, um, you know, for college fans that listen and watch and, and we, to what we talk about, Drew, Drew Camesso at BU is the most familiar name, but you have two potential um, college prospects also on the roster. What do you see from the three goalies? Yeah, well, I think, you know, Drew, Drew Camesso was supposed to be on the team last year, but because of the Boston University's COVID protocol situation, all the BU guys couldn't go. Um, and so he was he was knocked out. So I think you're looking at Drew Camesso probably being the starting goalie for this team. Uh, Nate has not said that yet. You know, he's not he's not confirmed that that Camesso is, is going to be the number one. But you look at, you know, in terms of experience and what he's gone through. Um, he's the guy that is most likely to get the, the majority of the reps. The, the guy who, who has the, uh, the inside track on being the number two goalie is Caden Emberico, who plays for Lincoln in the USHL, did play for the national team development program the two years prior, but was the starting goalie at the world under 18s this last year. Um, unfortunately, sustained an injury during that tournament and wasn't available for, you know, for uh, portions of that, that tournament. Um, he's committed to go to Colorado College. Um, so he's got his own, you know, future head coach on the staff in, in, in Chris Mayotte. And um, he's a very, you know, he's he's not a big guy. He's five foot eleven, 190 pounds. So that's not for a goal in goalie terms, you know, and in, in life terms, he's just fine. He's above average, but in goalie terms, he's below. And uh, but he's a highly competitive, very athletic goaltender, quick and and uh, you know confident. Um, then Dylan Silverstein, who's committed to Boston College, has had a really good year for the national team development program, um, and you know I think he's exceeded expectations in that regard. He's a similar guy, you know, six foot one seventy nine, so similar in size to Embarico. Um and, and yeah, but that that's kind of where Drew Camesso leads the way as a potential starter because. Um, you know, he's, he's played on the big stage. He's played in the NCAA tournament with BU. He has played in, in, you know, those types of environments. He was invited to the men's world championship and he, he didn't play much, but he was invited there, um, you know, at, at the end of last season, partially to get him some experience in that international venue. Um, so it's going to be really interesting to see, but I, I think, you know, they, they have confidence in Drew Camesso. His numbers don't look as good this year compared to previous seasons, but also, I mean, you look at BU as a whole right now, and they've struggled as a group and, and, you know, the goalie is only shares a, a portion of that blame, I think. Um, so, you know, a small portion of that blame because, because Drew Camesso at his best um, can be a very good goaltender and good enough to win for this team. I think. Chris, let's turn to the defenseman. You mentioned in your newsletter that you think this may be the best group of defensemen in the tournament. There are three returnees. You also mentioned that maybe Nate Lehman is going to skate eight defensemen in a game. What makes this group of defensemen so good? Yeah. So they, they, you know, with the rosters expanded, they were able to take eight defensemen. And so they have 25 
25 total players, 20 skaters. So that's, that's two more than normal. Um, in a, in a regular world junior year, it's usually, uh, you know, a, a roster of 23. So they decided to take eight defensemen last year. They took nine defensemen and 12, four and, uh, 13 forwards. Um, and so it's only eight and 14 this time. And, um, you know, I, I think it's really interesting how, how they're going to be set up on, on the blue line, because, you know, they have three right shots. They have, uh, the rest of the left shot defensemen. Um, you've got Jake Sanderson, who is going to be the anchor of that blue line. I think he's one of the best players in college hockey this year. I think he's one of the best uh, NHL prospects on this team. Um, and then Brock Faber is probably going to be, you know, the de facto number two defenseman. And Nate Lehman said today that they're planning to play those two guys apart so that they that they have balance. Um, and both of them are elite defenders. But I think as we've seen, Jake Sanderson much more offensively gifted this season getting involved in the play more, much more confident in those elements of his game. And then you've got Brock Faber, who is an elite defender as well. I mean, and, and great footwork, a tremendous skater playing at the University of Minnesota. Uh, but then the rest of this blue line, it's all, you know, it's all college guys. It's all, you know, you've got um, Ian Moore from from Harvard, who's going to probably play a, a pretty significant role. Luke Hughes from Michigan, who's going to be one of the more dynamic kind of power play guys on this team. Uh, Jack Pert went from not make not being invited to camp to Sean Barron's getting knocked out by COVID protocols. He's invited and he makes the team, you know, and, and so they, they had to cut two defensemen from camp and, and Jack Pert was not one of them. So, you know, good for him to, to make it. And he's actually gotten some time on the power play as well. But I, I think the most, and, and then you got like Scott Morrow, who's a dynamic offensive defenseman. So there's a lot of different types of defensemen on this team, You've, but they've got good size. They all can skate. They've got great mobility as a group. And I think that they're going to help this team offensively. You know, there's a real good, there's a real good chance that, as you mentioned, that like in the lineup and when they actually go to play, there could be eight and 12, as opposed to seven and 13, which is the traditional designation. And the way that Nate Lehman was talking today, had Thomas Bortolo not gotten knocked by COVID and really changed the way they had to structure their forward group, they could have taken as many as nine defensemen to this tournament. Uh, just because they, that's how much they believe in this decor. And they felt all 10 guys they had in camp could have made the team. So, um, you know, they ended up having to cut two because of, they wanted to make sure that they had their forwards taken care of. I'll tell you what, this, this blue, this decor is legit. I mean, you've got two top five picks in, in, in Sanderson and Hughes, you know, Wyatt Kaiser, who I didn't even mention yet. I mean, just go back to that five overtime game that he played against North Dakota last year. He played an hour's worth of hockey in that game. And if you have a guy that can log that kind of minutes and be effective, that helps you a lot. And so, um, uh, you know, and Tyler Clevin is the other returnee from this team, you know, and now he, he brings that physical presence. So you've got a little bit of everything on this team on that blue, on that blue line where you've got physicality, you've got mobility, you've got puck movement, you've got offensive skills. So um, I I think that they did a, a tremendous job and just really had a great pool of players available to them this year. If they dress eight defensemen, is Nate Lehman going to roll four pairs? That's probably not. I mean, maybe in some of the some of the early games, sure. You know, I think you're tr- still trying to get a feel for your team. Um, but you know, I think that they're going to lean very heavily on a rotation that that's gonna that's gonna include a lot of shifts for Jake Sanderson and Brock Faber um, apart from each other. So I, you know, I think at, at most times you're probably going to see. You know, it's like say they end up playing Canada who is not in their same group in the preliminary round. But if they play, I, I would, I would venture to guess that if they play Canada, one of those two defensemen will be on the ice almost every shift. So like, that's, that's kind of where, where you're, 
you know, what you're looking at. And then the, everything else will rotate around them. Forwards, there are, are some familiar names and some guys that are lighting up college hockey this year. Uh, if the defensemen are the best in the world, where do the forwards line up? You know, they're probably mi- closer to the middle of the pack. I mean, you know, they, there is still, you've still got Matty Beneers, number two overall pick from the last draft. You've got Logan Cooley, who I think is going to be, he's, he's an underager, but I think he's going to be a top 10 pick in this upcoming draft. Um, you know, but losing Thomas Bortolo significantly hinders this, this forward group offensively. Um, one thing that Nate said during his availability this morning was that, you know, basically they need to find where that, they don't have that guy that they can say, you go score and, and we need a goal. You go score. They had that last year. It was, you know, if it wasn't Cole Caulfield, it was Arthur Kaliev. If it wasn't them, it was Trevor Zegers, you know, so somebody was available to create that. Um, and basically, so you've got Matty Beneers, you've got Brett Berard, who's also a returnee, Landon Slagger, it's another returnee, um, you know, and, and so I'd say that they have what, what I like about this team is they're very quick. They have a lot of speed. That's one of the reasons that they brought in Minnesota Duluth, Dominic James, his, his ability to play with such pace um, was a huge factor in why he made this team. Um, you know, they, they have the forwards that, that can play the physical game, like a slagger, you know, Brett Berard is certainly not going to shy away from that either um, playing at Providence. And, and, and then you've got size like Matt, Matt Nyes, who has been a power forward at the university of Minnesota this year. I think they can rely on him to score and, and do a lot. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, I, they talked about it a lot today is that, you know, the Bortolo loss, one of the great playmakers in college hockey right now, you know, quality player. And even, you know, Nate was saying based on the timing of COVID, he said if he got if he was infected four days sooner, he would have been able to be cleared in time for uh, for to leave. And um, and so they're, they're kind of have to kind of replace that by committee. But, you you know, you look at Beneers, then there's there's guys like Matt Coronado, Chaz Lucius. They have Sasha Passajov and Tanner Dickinson from the OHL that are going to be on the team. Um, you know, so they have a lot of offensive weapons. I also think we're going to see. Carter Mazur uh, from Denver play a much more significant role than we anticipated. He's had a phenomenal year for the pioneers. I think they were looking at him as being like a fourth line grinder kind of guy, but he's playing his way into the top six and even into the power play. Um, And, and that's got a lot to do with his energy, his pace and, and his ability to, to put pucks in the net, which he's been doing a lot more regularly uh, this season. So I, I like the forward group. I, you know, it's not, it's not at the same level as Canada's. I think that, that, you know, you can make an argument that they're, they're, they're maybe a little bit better than uh, um, a Sweden or, and Finland in terms of depth, but you know, Russia also has a really good forward group. So, uh, you know, I, I said middle of the pack, I think that's a little bit too pessimistic. I think they're, you know, probably still a top four group forward wise. I mean, that's, you know, there's 10 teams in the tournament, so it's not, it's a little ahead of the middle of the pack, but you know, they're probably in the thir- third, fourth range. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see kind of how, how they score, who scores. And and if it is really going to have to be by committee as, as they think it will be. More with Chris Peters in a moment. This podcast is brought to you by DCU digital federal credit union. Visit dcu.org. This is the USCHO spotlight, a weekly podcast from us college hockey online. Know how people say life happens? Well, for me, life was happening, and I needed a new truck. I didn't have time to shop around for a good loan, so I got one from the dealer, higher interest and all. Month after month, those payments were squeezing me. So I went to DCU. They refinanced my loan and helped lower my rate, which lowered my payments. 
these days, I have more money in my pocket for whatever life throws at me. What will DCU mean to you? Insured by NCUA. Membership required. Visit dcu.org. Continuing now on USCHO Spotlight with NHL Draft and Prospects writer Chris Peters. Chris, what do you think about the size on this team? I, I look at, you know, the defensive core has the numbers. You know, you've got Clevin at 6'4", and you have Moore at 6'3". But the, the forward group, you have a lot of guys in that 5'9", 5'10", 5'11", range. I, I, I'm not saying that size means anything. And we see it in the NHL that some younger guys, I'm sorry, smaller guys can make a go of it. But, you know, does this feel like a, a bit of a roster that might be a tiny bit undersized? You know, it might, it might be, I think really you'd be more concerned if it was small and slow. Um, luckily they're small and fast or, or, you know, maybe at you know, a little bit below average. I think that what we've seen is, is a lot of the teams now are, are a little bit lighter up front. Um, I think Canada, certainly they attempted to, to get bigger um, as a group based on the, the camp that they had and that, but they ended up, you know, letting go of some of their biggest players. Um and so I think that you're looking to play. It's all about the style that you play. Um, and then, you you know, so you look at Landon Slaggart, who is, you know, about six foot and, and, and but he's, you know, he plays a heavy game. Uh, Matty Beniers, despite being, a, you know, such a high pick is it, he plays a heavy game. He plays very difficult to play against. Matt Nyes is a legit power forward. Um, you know, so it's all about how you play. And if they have enough energy, if they're, you know, their their whole game is going to be push, putting pressure on the opposing defense, making it difficult to transition out of the zone. And that is where, in, in a situation like that, speed is almost more important than size. Because if you can get to those defensemen and force them to make tough decisions and quick decisions, just as USA did with such great effectiveness in the gold medal game against Canada last year, you make it really difficult to score against you. So I think they're comfortable. They have that big blue line. Like I think that the decor is, is, is good in terms of the size and strength. And I think they're comfortable with where they're at, you know, forward wise. And they, they brought in some guys like Dylan Peterson was one of the guys that got cut. You know, he's a big guy, heavier guy. You think about some of the guys they didn't invite to camp Tyre Boucher, Luke Tuck, also BU guys, you know, that, that have some of that, you know, size and heaviness to them. Um, you know, I just don't think that, was a priority for this team. And it was much more about foot speed, about scoring ability, about being able to play a versatile game. And I think that that's where they, they really do have quite a bit where, where you've got to got a lot, a lot of guys with versatility. Right now we're hearing a lot about how COVID is impacting NHL teams and other pro sports and even rumblings about impacts on college teams. Uh, what are the discussions? What are some of the precautions that are being taken right now? Well, uh, is for as far as um, the the players are concerned, I think that today is the most uh, concerning day because it's travel day as we record this. And um, essentially, once they get to Canada, they will be able to they, they have to go into a mandatory 48 hour isolation. Every player will every coach, they'll be in their own rooms. They'll isolate. They will continue to test um, the players themselves. Uh, and teams will be essentially in a bubble. There will be fans in the building. Um, all fans have to be fully vaccinated. Uh, all players have to be fully vaccinated, as far as I know. And and there are, you know, the, the Canada's health department is basically creating an exemption for this tournament, assume, based on the, the, the promise that they're going to abide by these measures. Um, the problem is now 
is if anybody does test positive, um, you can't add anybody. So that's one of the reasons they expanded it to 25 players. So you can't add anybody if, if they come through. So that's kind of where we're at right now in terms of, you know, trying to keep everybody safe. Um, they had great success with the bubble last year, aside from Germany arrived with several positives. Um, and then they had to play shorthanded, but once they got through that initial arrival period, there were no positive tests that pulled anybody out of the competition during the tournament. So they're going to try to keep those same standards. Like the media is not going to have face-to-face interactions. We will do everything on zoom, um, which isn't what was initially supposed to happen as far as I know, but that's how it's going to be. Um, so they're keeping the players really kind of, you know, hermetically sealed, essentially uh, they'll be able to go back to their hotels and, and that's about it. But, um, and that is actually something that Nate Lehman said today is, is going to be one of the challenges for the team is that, you know, in the United States, we have not lived in a bubble situation since the last world juniors, essentially, you know, like everybody who's been vaccinated since then. And, and obviously as we're watching, you know, Omicron and everything else, and certainly in Canada, there's a huge concern right now in Ontario of, uh, of, of spread. Um, luckily this is in Alberta. <laughs> so, uh, and Alberta has actually kind of followed some more of the similar measures as, as we've seen in the U S as well. Um, they have some of the le- lesser stringent measures, uh, but the players themselves will be in very strict protocol. Can you try to handicap the pool for me a little bit, Chris? I look at the four teams that are with the United States and you have Slovakia, which people I think usually think of as a walkover, but that's a that's been a pretty tough game at times for the U.S. Switzerland, always an upstart team. They always seem to be better than people expect. Sweden, possibly one of the best um, round robin teams that we've ever seen in this tournament of late. And then Russia, a team that has been the nemesis many times for the United States. This is, you know, everybody says, Oh, Canada is not in your pool. That's a good thing. But, um, these are some pretty still, still tough competitors that they're, they're going to have to face in this early round. Yeah. It's, it's the group of death. I mean, really you look at, and I think Canada is probably feeling a little bit like, Hey, we, you know, our, our group is not, not as strong. And let's hope that we are, are, uh, are, um, you know, competitive and enabled in making sure that we're, we're appreciating everybody that we're playing against here. Um, cause they're with Finland, Germany, Czech Republic, and Austria. So you've got two teams in there in Germany and Austria that are not going to have a lot of the same, like the Marco Rossi's and the, the, the Tim Stutzla's like they had last year. So, um, but anyway, getting back to group B, you know, I think Russia is certainly the biggest threat to the U S in terms of placing first. I think they, they have the deepest team. They have, you know, Matt Vemichkov, who's only 16 years or just turned 17 years old. Um, and is one of the greatest young goal scorers I've personally witnessed live. I mean, he looks like he just decides that he's going to score and he scores and it, it's, it's incredible to watch. Sweden has, you know, and then Russia also has a great goaltender in Yaroslav Askarov. Sweden has, good balance throughout their lineup. They got Alexander Holtz and William Eklund back, both guys that have played NHL games this season. Um, they got Simon Edmondson on the back end, who was the, you know, a top pick in the last draft um, by, by the Detroit Red Wings. And then they have Jesper Wallstedt, who I think is one of the best goaltenders in the age group. And as you mentioned, Slovakia, they're, you, you know, they're a team that has tripped up the U S before, and they actually have, maybe one of their best teams that they've sent here because their 2004 and 2005 birth years have several players that are going to be first round draft picks in the NHL. Um, so they're young, 
but they are going to be very skilled and very challenging. Um, so that's that's a that's a group to be aware of. I personally think, you know, as I look at it and as I've looked at the way that the teams have been built and as I think about it now, you know, I think that the U.S. on paper is the best team. You know, when you take into account goal te- the, the the defenseman um, and, and then there's enough firepower there. But I think Russia is probably the biggest threat. I don't think that Sweden has the depth that it normally does. Um, and I think that Slovakia is just a little bit too young. And I really do think Switzerland is in, t- in tough. They've, they've had some, they've had some down years um, in their last few birth years and have been very, you know, non-competitive in the international space. Unlike they were just a few years ago, you think about Nico Heischer putting the scare of, of a lifetime into the U S the year that they won the gold medal um, because he, he almost beat them single-handedly and they don't, they don't have a guy like that anymore. So uh, it'll be interesting to see, but I, I do think that the U.S. has a really good chance to come out of the group on top. Um, you know, I think that the part of that is, you know, the way the schedule sets up, they open with Slovakia, which is not a pushover, but it's an it's a, a way for them to kind of establish their game and, and, and against a team that doesn't match them depth wise. And then you go, you know, and your next game right after that is is Sweden. So, you know, it's a you get a day off and then you go you go play, uh, um, uh, you know, against Sweden. So it's, it's going to be really interesting to watch that whole thing kind of transpire. USA gets Russia on new year's Eve. So everything to play for at that point, I like the way that that does set up for, for the U S um, in terms of the way that the schedule was, was built. Um, so I think that's a big, big factor as well. Chris, before we let you go, uh, stepping aside from world juniors, the Olympics coming up this year, the NHL has committed to allowing their players to head over to Beijing uh, for the Olympics, but what is going on in terms of COVID? And we keep hearing that maybe the NHL is fine with players going, but some of the players themselves might not want to go. And we're hearing about plan B and some of these rosters. Where, where do you see this all going in the next month? Yeah. You know, I, I it's tough to handicap in terms of what will happen, but I mean, the way that it's trending right now is certainly suggesting that, that, USA hockey and hockey Canada better get their plan B ready. Um, and you know, the, the U S did name Bill Guerin as their GM for if the NHL players are going to go, they all certainly are focused on that. But John Van Beesbrook did say if they have to go to plan B, they'll probably go with a, a format similar to the 2018 uh, Olympics where it was pros and uh, European pros and college players. Now, if you'll remember, Ryan Donato and Troy Terry were the team's two best forwards. Um, and, you know, they, they absolutely lit it up together. And I think that USA Hockey is going to have learned from that, that we didn't need to get as many older professionals. Let's get the guys that are steps away from the NHL. Um, so actually on dailyfaceoff.com, I just, uh, just as we're, you know, as we're recording it published, um, I have like a plan B roster. Now, the thing is, is about that is, College players that are currently going to be playing in the world juniors, I don't know if they're going to want to go into another bubble and be away from their team for another month after already doing it. Um, and I would not blame them if they said, no, thank you. Um, but I did in, in the event that, you know, they're the best players available, like say Maddie Beneers, who I think would absolutely be a, a candidate for that team. Um, you know, he could, if he did go, you know, I've, I'm looking at guys like, you know, Matty Beneers, Thomas Bortolo, now that he'd be recovered from COVID by that point. Noah Cates at, at, uh, at Minnesota Duluth, who played in the World Juniors, who's, you know, came back for another year. 
you know, Jake Sanderson, Brock Faber, who I mentioned Ronnie Adder at, at Western Michigan, Nathan Smith at Minnesota state. These are the types of players. I'm like, these, those are the types of guys that I would want to be asking, you know, if they're available and, and if they want to go. Now you may remember also in 2018, Kale McCarr told Canada, no, thank you. And I think that was the right move for him. He didn't want to go away. So that it might be tough to get some of these guys in the most crucial part of their season, right before the playoffs to go play in the Olympics, when you probably don't have a great shot at winning gold, um, you know, with the roster that you're going to be able to put together. So it's going to be a tough decision for those players. I mean, when, when USA hockey calls and say, Hey, do you want to go to the Olympics? Um, which is, you know, previously not even a thought then, you know, I think that there is at least a discussion to be had, but I, I think it, you know, really at this point, it's not convenient for anyone to go. Um, so we'll just have to wait and see who that's going to end up being. But, but I do think that, you know, if you're a college player and the NHL decides not to go and you, and you're a certain, you know, you're of a certain age and you're of a certain quality, uh, they, they may be calling you. So, so get ready for that phone call. Boy, that's got to be tough though, Chris, as you mentioned, these are all teams that are legitimate contenders for the national championship. Certainly Michigan has put together a great program and Western Michigan is having its best season in, in a long time. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be difficult. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, and I, I, I think it's a tough, tough thing to ask those players. It's a tough situation to put them in. Um, and maybe, maybe in the end, they decide not to do that. Maybe in the end, they will decide to just go strictly with European pros. But as I've looked through, you know, coming through and trying to find the guys that fit, you know, there aren't a ton of former NHLers. The, the player pool that the U.S. has to pull from from European pros is not nearly as good as some of the other countries. Um, and and that's, you know, we'll see a lot of former college guys there as well. I, mean, I was thinking like Jordan Schrader and Brian O'Neill are having tremendous KHL seasons. I mean, they could be top line players at the Olympics, you know. So um, those are the types of guys that you're going to be looking at um, if, if you don't, you know, if you don't manage to get those NHL players. But, yeah, it's. I hope it doesn't come to that. I mean, I hope that we get enough NHL players to go. There's really not certainly a, a consensus at this point among the NHLPA membership there. So, you know, you know, how are you going to tell Alex Ovechkin that, you know, he, he can't go to the Olympics. It, it's going to be, those voices are going to matter in that, in that argument. And, and certainly the Russian guys, and I think a lot of the American guys as well want to go. So it's uh it's a real opportunity for those, those players. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see. Hopefully the NHL players go and we don't have to think about it, but it, I'm sure there are some nervous college coaches at the moment. Well, I think we, we probably at, at the worst probably see some sort of a hybrid that you give the players the option. Some of them say, yes, it's not like the league can reschedule games for those three weeks right. because most of the buildings have already been rented out. But hey, if, if we get into a plan B situation, who's your goaltender for the U S as of right now, it would be Strauss Mann, who was at Michigan last year. He's having an awesome season in in in, in Sweden. Um, you know, I I think that he would absolutely be in the mix to be the starter for USA because last time around it was Ryan Zapolsky, who is um, you know it's not wouldn't really be in the mix this time around. Um, you know, and and you wonder, but like you look at the college goalies too, and you're like, oh, you know. Do I, do I think about Dryden McKay? Do I think about, you know, you look at the season Drew DeRitter is having for, for Michigan state this year and like, Oh man, maybe there, maybe there's an option there. I mean, there's so many different guys and he, and DeRitter has a history with USA hockey as well. So those are the types of players you look for. But I mean, right now, yeah, if, if the NHL does not go, I'm looking at, at, at Strauss man, potentially being the, the guy. Um, so, so that's kind of where we're at, but it's, it's going to be really interesting to follow that process. And I know USA hockey is just hoping 
they don't have to get to that point because not because of the players, but because they want, this is an opportunity to actually win a gold medal with this, the NHL players that they have. I mean, Austin Matthews in his prime and you know, that you, you look at, you know, having Patrick Kane getting one more kick at the, at the can and, and all these other players, Kyle Connor, that's emerged Johnny Goudreau finally having an opportunity to go. Will Jack Eichel be ready? Bill Guerin said he's not ruling him out. So, you know, there's all those different things that, that kind of come into play. And as you dream a little bit, you're like, wow, this could be a really special team. Um, but we might not get to see it. So we'll hope we'll hope for the best. You always think it's going to be a boycott that would keep you out of an Olympics, but <laughs> it could also <laughs> nope, just COVID. It could also just be COVID, COVID. You know, hey, Chris Peters, yeah. we appreciate everything you do. If you want to check out Chris's work, hockeysense.substack.com and read it, subscribe to it, pay whatever you have to pay to, to, to read it because what he writes on a daily basis is really incredible, particularly if you love this. Uh, international game that I know this time of year we can't get our minds off of. And I will be, uh, I know East coast, it's not convenient time slot. Again, it'll be, we'll have a lot of nine 30 and 10 30 starts out here, but uh, we'll still enjoy every ounce of the hockey at the world juniors. So Chris, we always, uh, we really appreciate you coming on every time you pop in, whether it's here or frozen four, it's always fun to talk. Yeah. Well, it's, it's great to be with you guys. Great to be talking hockey and yeah, just stay safe out there, everybody. And let's, uh, Let's hope. Let's hope we get a good tournament and good Olympics and everything else. But but always a pleasure and, and happy holidays to everybody out there as well. Jim, I'm fascinated by what Chris mentioned about having the top defensive core and maybe towards the middle or upper middle of the pack with forwards. How might that shift how Coach Nate Lehman approaches the game with that firepower on the back end? Well, I think number one, they'll be the fastest transition team. And that's a big part of it. You can move out of your defensive zone really quickly with not just strong passes, but really strong skating. Um, but I think he'll probably also have to let the leash off those defensemen a little bit, let them get into the play. You know, I, I look at this list and you see guys like Brock favor and Jake Sanderson. There's so much talent there, but even you know, younger guys, I, I see Scott Moore a lot in hockey East and, He's a guy that you just have to kind of let him have a little bit of free reign, tell him to be def defensively responsible. And I guess this goes for all eight, uh, eight of the guys on that, that back end, but tell them they have to be defensively responsible, but let them go, let them get into the offense. Cause if you let them below the dots, you're going to see some guys that can finish just as well as any forward. There's a lot of offensive talent in this blue line. And that, you know, I think that's what team USA has been building toward for the last decade and a half is having those mobile defensemen and you're really seeing it play out here. This could be one of the more dangerous blue lines that we'll see. So the power play uh, and obviously the transition game, they should be factored significantly by the talent that is in these, uh, these blue liners, these back enders. I'm always fascinated at the world juniors, how some players kind of come to the forefront or some players you might not notice uh, make a big impact. The one who jumped out at me just because of his physical play and uh, really his his hard work and grinding in last year's World Juniors was Brett Berard. And I'm going to be interested to see who kind of reveals himself among these players this year. Well, I always think it's really interesting, Ed, because, you know, aside from the kids that are still in juniors, and there's a few kids in this roster that match that, I think three or four, you know, but for kids that are in the college game right now, 
you see their names and you're like, oh, they're okay. You know, are they going to be good? But then they get into this tournament and you're back against players that are your own age. You're not playing against 22, 23, and 24-year-old players. You're back playing against players that are 17, 18, 19, maybe a couple of 16-year-olds. But that's what it, it, it means to be in the right age group. And that's why this is an under-20 tournament. Um, so that I think is one thing that allows some of these players to get some creativity, but the number of times that over my years in college hockey, I have watched kids not have great first halves of the season at their college, go into the world junior tournament, have some success, and then come back with a little bit more confidence that really impacts their team in the second half. It's immeasurable. I've seen it so many times. And I think that's one thing that we sometimes forget is that they, these players will come back to their campus a little bit more swagger, a little bit more confidence. Maybe it's the gold medal that's around their neck, but they seem to play a little better in the second half. Well, I can't wait for the hockey to start. The world juniors is coming up in red deer and Edmonton, Alberta. This podcast has been brought to you by DCU digital federal credit union. What will DCU mean to you? Membership required. Find out today by visiting dcu.org. For Jim Connolly, I'm Ed Trefsker, and we'll catch you next time. This has been the USCHO Spotlight, a production of U.S. College Hockey Online. Visit uscho.com slash podcasts to listen or subscribe. It's true that some things change as we get older. But if you're a woman over 40 and you're dealing with insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, and weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. And with MIDI Health, you can get help and stop pushing through it alone. The experts at MIDI understand that all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes that happen around menopause. And MIDI can help you feel more like yourself again. Many healthcare providers aren't trained to treat or even recognize menopause symptoms. MIDI clinicians are menopause experts. They're dedicated to providing safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions for dozens of hormonal symptoms, not just hot flashes. Most importantly, they're covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. You deserve to feel great. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. That's joinmidi.com.